Good morning, good morning, good morning. How are you, my friend? How are you, my friend? Welcome. This is the Breakfast with Champions podcast, one of the most unique, amazing, and powerful podcasts you'll ever come across in your entire life. Listen, we bring you motivation, education, and inspiration, and ultimately give you an opportunity to get a seat at the table, to hang out with some of those that are doing the things you know you can do, that have reached some of those levels you know you can reach. What makes this podcast so unique and incredible is we have over a hundred different thought leaders that are constantly delivering amazing, over-the-top, powerful, and impactful content in bite-sized nuggets that you can absorb, take action on, and implement in your life. So with that said, make sure you filter through. There's going to be some of these thought leaders, these experts in their industries that you're ultimately gonna connect with. You're gonna totally, totally resonate. It's gonna totally be your vibe. And then there's gonna be other ones that you're gonna be like, eh, you know what? I like them, but I don't know if I love them. And that's what's great about Breakfast with Champions is we have something for everyone. So make sure you sift through, find the ones that you love, and know that they'll be coming back every single week to be able to deliver to you the motivation and education and inspiration that you need. With that said, my name is Glenn Lundy. I am your host. Super excited to connect with you. And let's kick off today's episode of Breakfast with Champions. Sarah, thanks so much. Really appreciate being back. And I appreciate... Um, I'm kind of new here. <laughs> Maybe I'm just kind of the the new shiny object, but so many people reaching out after my uh, first couple segments and appreciating hearing my perspective. Again, I'm someone that's been around the sports business my whole life as a failed athlete, as an agent, as a team executive, as an analyst, media, and now academia as well. And I got so many questions about what I do and how, how it's uh, life lessons for so many different things. So on the talk, what I thought I'd do is answer some of these sort of repeat questions I've gotten, whether through my Instagram, DM is fine, or emails or text, and maybe shed some lessons on learning and health and wealth as we talk about. And then maybe uh, my, my co-partner Nisha can come in in a little while and we can banter a little bit more. But some of the questions I got were really interesting about People are fascinated with the NFL, which starts this week, so it's always a busy time. In my world, I was an agent, team executive, ran the Packers, even as an analyst on the business of football and sports. This time, when the season kicks off, counterintuitively, was always, is always, my slow time. Because in sports... You're always preparing for the next, which is sort of a theme I keep talking about, the next, looking forward. So I'd be in a situation where the kickoff is, it happens tomorrow night, one game, and Sunday, a bunch of games. And I would take this deep sigh every year at the start of the Packers season when that kickoff happened. Because I knew, as someone who managed the team, my work was done. My work was done. So in sports, the off-season, the time where no one's paying attention, is when you architect, when you manage, massage, create, build, assemble your team. That's the work. That's the work. 
And then when it kicks off in September, at least in football, it's over. You're on to 2022 because then you turn it over to the coaches and players. It's their work. And you sit back and either are pleased with or not pleased with the fruits of your labor over the last six months. Now, NFL has the longest offseason of any major sport. You know, the last time we saw real play was in February at the Super Bowl. So that's seven months of the hard work. So now the coaches and players go into what I always call the submarine for six months or five months. And they lead a very grinding, tough life, but then their work is done come January or February for two teams, and then it's back to the grind for the offseason. So that's the front office. A lot of questions I had were my experience in Green Bay. As I mentioned, I'm from the East Coast. I went to college on the West Coast. I lived out near Stanford, San Francisco for a while. And what about the culture shock <laughs> going to a small town, Green Bay, Wisconsin? It's unlike any city I've ever been. It's very, obviously, the team is everything, which, again, is one of the reasons I felt like I had to leave because I couldn't walk out of my house after a long time and not be asked about the Packers. I didn't want that life. And I wanted more diversity in a lot of ways. But going to Green Bay was a culture shock. You know, it's, you know, I went to my first banquet and I look out and our drinks at the banquet were these big glasses of whole milk. And every time I took a sip, someone would be around with a big pitcher of milk. And I'm like, okay, that's different. You know, that's something I would never expect. And I had to deal with it when I recruited players because there you're talking about a different audience. I knew what a special place it was. I knew how it revolved around family and football. But not a lot of players were ready for that. I remember the biggest free agent player I recruited and tried to sign was a guy who won the Heisman Trophy, one of the great players in the history of the sport, just inducted in the Hall of Fame. His name is Charles Woodson, went to Michigan, everything. And Charles was a free agent, and we chased him. And I called his agent every morning for 32 mornings because you know what? Charles didn't have other suitors, and I don't know why, but he didn't. And he wouldn't sign because he didn't want to come to Green Bay. And I just kept trying to push and push and perseverance. And every day his agent would ask the same thing, like, well, what do people do up there? You know, he said, I had to be honest. He said, Andrew, any black people up there besides players? And I had to be honest. I said, no. No. I did say, hey, I'm Jewish. There are no Jews up here either, but we do all right. <laughs> you know? So I had to go into what it was. And it was about a different lifestyle. And he said, Andrew, what's he going to do up there? I said, get into it. So he went to Michigan and be like Ann Arbor although Ann Arbor was much more diverse, I said, it's going to be wrapping himself into this group. We're all in a fishbowl here, but we have each other. 
eventually he came. And it was tough. And I said to Charles, just get into it. And it took a while, and he resisted, and he came from the Raiders, and the Raiders had no rules, and we had a lot of rules. So it was different for him. And I took a personal interest because I saw this was one of the true elite athletes of our century. You know, the moment he came on the field, I looked out there, and I've been around a lot of elite athletes, but then you see people that are cut above, just a cut above. You know, when I was at Stanford, we had John Elway, just a cut above every one of these other elite athletes. Charles comes out there. He's our best, he's our best tackler. He's our best return person. He's our best cover person. He's our best defensive player. He's our fastest player. He's our strongest player. He's the most fluid player we've ever seen. You just sometimes come across these people that are, wow, they're just a cut above. And he got into it, and I play piano. He played piano, so we took piano lessons together. We went to this couple. The, the wife taught upstairs. The husband taught downstairs. And it worked for a while. And those are the kind of things you have to You just have to stay with it because you know there's conflict. You know there's resistance, friction. But just stay with it. And with Charles, I just stayed with it. That was a different shock there, the culture shock. The other thing people ask me, because we're in that time of year, what about fantasy? Yes, I'm in a bunch of fantasy leagues, but primarily I'm helping my sons. You know, I'm assistant general manager to about five fantasy teams. So we have another draft tonight. We have another draft tomorrow. Everyone's into fantasy football. It's such a, it's a bonding experience. You know, you pick your team and you watch them every week and you hope they do well. It's a little bit frustrating as someone who worked with a team, you know, the whole team aspect, because as a fantasy player, you're not about team. You're about your team, you're, but these are all players on different teams. So I think it stunts people's views of getting into passion about their team, about, you know, getting behind a real team, not a fantasy team. So I tell that all the time. It's like being an agent, being a fantasy football player. Because you root for your players. You root for this guy on that team and this guy on that team and hope they do well. And you're not really concerned about team performance. And so I do talk about that. A funny story about fantasy football. There was a movement among the Packers when I was there. Coaches and scouts like, Andrew, let's do a fantasy draft. And I'm like, oh, boy, I, you know, I got to clear that with the league. So I do. They say, don't call the league. I say, oh, I got to call. So first of all, now gambling, of course, is everywhere. The league's teams have all embraced it because it's legal in many states. So that time I called the league and they're like, Ugh. I said, we just want to do a fantasy draft. We have two rules. No Packers can be picked and no money. And you know what the league lawyer said to me? He said, Andrew, we didn't have this conversation. I'm like, what? He said, how's your family? <laughs> so I realized that even 10 years ago, betting was completely taboo. But here's the story about fantasy football. These guys, scouts, some are now general managers in the NFL, were the worst fantasy football players known to men. They were the worst. And as I'll tell you why, 
because these guys are like picking back up players. And they're saying, oh, I scouted him. I scouted, I scouted him at Georgia, Texas A&M, at UCLA. And he's great. No one knows about him. I'm like, but they're not going to play. You know, fantasy football is for players who actually play. So anyway, I always get a kick out of fantasy football drafts, which I'm in a bunch this week. And think about the people who pick players for the living, maybe the people who are best in the world at selecting players for a living. And they can't do it. <laughs> so I've always thought that was interesting. So as the season kicks off, I just wanted to, to say those things to give people an idea of what's going on out there. Um, this is a time of rebirth, right? Everyone's got hope. The thing that we sell in sports more than anything else is hope. It is that magical concept of hope. It's what fantasy football is about. It's what the start of the season's about. It's what the draft is about. Right, We draft new players. They give the team hope. They're exciting. This year, there are all these new quarterbacks. They give them excitement. What fans really want is hope. Is hope. Like, we're going to be good. We're going to be exciting. We can get behind it. I can get my kids into it. They want that. So I always look at that in any aspect of life where you're giving them is hope. When I talk to my students, they want to know, like, you know, can I get into this? Can I really work in sports like you? Can I do something like you? And there's no easy answers. And obviously it's going to take a lot of work and paths and right time and serendipity and all those things. But they want hope. They want to believe. And that's why sports is great, because it gives us this romance. It gives us this emotion. You know, I walk down the street. I'll see a guy at a construction site talking to a guy in a three-piece suit. You know what? They're probably talking about sports. It's a galvanizing effect. I grew up in Washington, D.C. <laughs> Nothing, you know, there. No one agrees on anything. But they all agreed on the Redskins at the time, they were called. It was a galvanizing thing that brought people together. I love sports. It's been my, you know, my great fortune to be around it my whole life. But it's one of those things that brings people together. And we need more of those. You know, this room is one of those. I think that's important. So I'll leave it there. I'll bring in my co-host, Nisha, and we can sort of go from there. I'd love to answer your questions here, as I do uh, in other venues. Yes, first of all, Andrew, you know, I listen to you speak, and I'm sure I'm like everybody else on the stage and in the room, and I'm just like in awe. I just <laughs> There is never a moment that I'm like not in awe of you. And today in particular, I kind of sat here. I'm like, is it too early for popcorn? I felt like I needed popcorn because the stories just got better and better. And particularly Charles Woodson, like I did not know all of that. And obviously, um, for those of you that don't know in the room, I'm a huge Green Bay Packers fan, which, you know, the amazing Barbara in the red dress thought of this brainchild of putting Andrew and I together, which is just perfection because I literally, I'm in awe of him. Um, but I also come as just a football fanatic as well. Um, my mom taught me football at an early age and Green Bay Packers are, that's just our team. So I'm very familiar with Charles Woodson. Um, my mom and I just recently were talking about his Hall of Fame speech and, and um, 
how he really did an amazing tribute to his wife. Um, that was pretty beautiful um, to to even just see. But um, just the background story, like Andrew, what it, I mean, just OMG. Like I literally took notes while you were talking, and the three words that came to me were tenacity, the tenacity you had to have to keep at him, right? When he's just like, I'm not coming there, I'm not coming there, I'm not coming there. The second word was honesty. When he asked you, you know, are there black people there? <laughs> You're like, no, no, they're not. No, mm -mm, they're not. Um, just, just the honesty of, you know, you could have told him anything to get him there, right? But you were honest. And I, I, I believe, I don't know him, but that probably was a part of what got him there. At least he knew what to expect, right? Even though once he got there, there was the rigor of the rules and very contrary to what he saw with the Raiders, you were honest with them. And then the last word that came up for me regarding you was the adaptability you had to have to even go to Green Bay yourself, right? And to be in such a different environment. Green Bay is different. I mean, I told you, I went down there for a game and I'm just like, what is this place? It just is, it's, it is pretty bizarre. And I'm from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, just a couple mm -hmm, hours mm -hmm. up the road, right? But they're very different. So just talk to me about, you know, when you think about just yourself and that, you, you know, sort of your core, um, the things that you believe really make you unique in the roles that you've had, um, do you think those three words, adaptability, honesty, and tenacity, really um, are good call-outs to who you are or, and to the attributes that you have? So great, Nisha. I appreciate your, your kind words and, and being my co-host. This is so key, those three words, yes. And I'm going to share personal because I just came back from L.A. Um, my son is a music producer in LA, he went to NYU, he was in New York for a while, he went to Clive Davis School of Music, he's all about music. From a young age, this guy's five years old in the car telling me what's on the radio, that's a B-flat minor, and you know, I'm like, oh my God, he's a savant, but he's trying to make it in a business that everyone's trying to make it, right? He had to get to LA, that's where music industry is, and there's thousands of kids like him, right? Young guys trying to make their mark in music. And he's got those things. I'm so proud. And it's not something I talk to him about a lot, but he's got it. He's got tenacity. He, they, you know, whenever there's an artist that needs a producer and through his manager, through this group he's with, he raises his hand. I'm in. And whenever they need a song by Tuesday, he's got it there Sunday. And it's just natural. It's endemic to him. And I think people that realize that's part of them. You know, there's two types of motivation in life. There's extrinsic, which of course you get rewards and you win a race or you get a medal, you get a bonus, you get this or that. And there's intrinsic. And I've said this before here, I think the most successful people in life, personally and professionally, have this intrinsic motivation. They're not, they're not motivated by something outside, some other reward, something they'll get. They're, they're just, it's in them. It's in them. You know, Charles, you just mentioned Woodson again. It was in him. You know, he wanted to go to a place where he knew that he could be in that, in that realm, and he just had his agent ask me for 32 straight days, am I going to be okay there, basically? And 
I'm like, yeah, you're going to be okay. And I told my son, he's like, dad, it's just, everyone's trying to do this. And I won't need my big break. And I've got this song in queue for Sean Mendez, but Sean Mendez, you know, gets a thousand of these a day. And I'm like, just keep at it. You're doing great. You know, you're doing great. Just keep at it. So, yeah, I just, I just love the idea of those words you talked about, especially tenacity and adaptability. Yes. I mean, you definitely embody all of those words. I can feel it. And you know what else? You know, I call myself your communications cheerleader, but I really think I should give up that title and give it to you because I feel like a part of what makes you so special is that you are super motivating, right? And you are, um, I feel like, uh, a, a calm place, you know, um, where people can go. And obviously you, you're gonna tell them the truth, but they understand that you are going to be honest and that you are going to motivate them just to keep going. And so, I mean, with those two stories you just shared, I really feel like that. So I will share that um, sort of title tagline with you because you are um, uh, very much a communications cheerleader as well. And I want to throw it to Sarah, who I know had a question. Sarah? Thank you so much. Yeah, Nisha and I are sitting next to each other in her bathroom hanging out listening to this amazing segment. <laughs> um, you know, what stood out to me at the end was when you mentioned the Washington football team. So one of the reasons why Nisha and I are best friends is because we both grew up huge football fans. And, you know, one of the things that's been so heartbreaking um, to me when you talk about community is that, I mean, I grew up in the years where the fans literally shook RFK Stadium, yeah. uh, and when they offer them the Wheaties box with the Cowboys on the cover, they poured the cereal out and stomped on it. <laughs> and as you've probably seen, our fan base has really dissolved um, through Dan Snyder owning the team to where we can't even fill a stadium anymore because people are so disillusioned. And I'm curious from your vantage point around community, um, how does that happen? How do you erode a community and then how could you eventually build it back? I'm done speaking. Yeah, Sarah, you and I share that. Obviously, I grew up going to those games and such great memories with my dad at RFK Stadium, which is no longer, or at least no longer houses the team. And you're right, shaking and those great games against the Cowboys and going to the Super Bowls and all that success. I don't know exactly what's changed. Obviously, you talk about the owner. Um, it's ironic because the owner and I grew up probably a couple miles away. We're kind of the same age. I, but I've never really gotten to know him. I've seen him obviously at meetings, but yeah, just sort of losing that. I don't know what the word is, familial, comfortable fan base where people see this new ownership or, or it's been a while as all business, you know, and that's the hard thing because in my experience, you know, when I got to green Bay, we were this little mom and pop franchise. We had this little stadium, that all this history was made in and Vince Lombardi and Curly Lambeau and this legacy and storied franchise. But I also knew we're a business and we have to compete with the other teams and we have to create revenues. And my challenge there when I got there was we got to renovate the building and we had to go for public funding and all those things. And we got to make it more than 10 days a year because you can't live off 10 days a year where there have games. So we, of course, the Packers Hall of Fame and the build and the restaurants and ice cream and tours and all that had to come into play. 
to make it a 365-day building rather than just the game days. And I think that's happened in spades, obviously, in Washington, where it's become this people have turned off because of the business aspect more than the familial aspect. But they're turning it around. Uh, the guy I know well, Jason Wright, is their new president. He's he's going to do a great job. So maybe we'll get those fans. They'll get those fans back. Awesome. Oh, my goodness. Is there anybody else that wanted to ask Andrew a question? Yeah. Nisha, if I could, this is Dr. Connor. Oh, go um, ahead, Dr. Connor. Thank you so much, Nisha. Yeah, Andrew, always fantastic. I agree with the popcorn uh, there. I, I mean, it's absolutely brilliant to listen to. You mentioned a couple of things there with regard to um, intrinsic motivations, with regard to the grades and stuff. But you also mentioned those that those top top athletes who are cut above the rest that can play in the defensive, offensive, and the variety and so on. But do you think there's other mental attributes that these people have naturally or have developed to become a cut, a cut above the rest? It's a great question and good to meet you. I, I do. I mean, I think you can't have one without the other when you get to a certain level, right? So maybe some of you have seen that I have that in the mental side and the intrinsic side. And I was an athlete, but I never got above 3,000 in the world as a pro tennis player. So, yeah, you have to have extraordinary natural ability and physical gifts, but neither one is enough when you get to the highest levels, right? So I've seen athletes go through a lot of levels, and some that are physically gifted and have all the physical traits can get to a certain level, but they can't get past it. And some who have an incredible intrinsic motivation, at least on the sports side, because of lack of physical ability, they can't get past it. Now, they can get to a high level, but when you talk about Again, as I did, those special few, and you know, I put players that I dealt with like Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers in the same group. Yeah, they got both. They got both. They've got extraordinary physical abilities. Aaron Rodgers can do things with the football that I don't think anyone in history can do. But he's also, you know, off the charts intelligent. And those that combination and then has extraordinary ability to focus you know aaron is you know he's got that california cool northern california where he's just got this ability to not take things seriously and have this wry sense of humor so those things will always help and i think the third thing i just mentioned in all of these athletes and people is this sense of calm you know, there's there's extraordinary ability for that I admire in people to have calm through when the bullets are flying. Sometimes I'll look out, you know, one time I walked by a playground, my kid's school, and they're all playing, and rain comes, right, some storm. And you know what? The adults like started to like gather and let's go inside. It's crazy. There's a storm. But the kids just kept playing. Like, like, can we all have that? Like, the kids just kept playing. Like, hey, it's rain. We'll deal with it. It was the adults that got all afraid. So that always stays with me. Oh, my God. So good. You know, Andrew, while you were talking, 
um, and just talking about the characteristics of Brent Favre and, um, and Aaron Rodgers, I thought about, um, you know, obviously my experience working with Terrell Owens and um, writing his Hall of Fame speech. Uh, one of the things, he had this model, desire, discipline, dedication, right? And he's a different, you know, he's a, he's a you know, a lot. <laughs> um, but I think once you get to know him, he, he really is a sweetheart and a guy um, that is, is just a really, really great guy. But he had that model where he didn't believe he should even play um, football. He didn't think he was good enough for a while. He thought basketball was his sport. But, you know, he did the work and he put in the work. And obviously he's, he's you know, still sort of a, a freak of nature, if you will, um, with his talents. And so, you know, I just think about the characteristics that they had, but also the characteristics that he had and those sort of intangibles that you need to go on and be one of the greats. Right. Um, so really awesome. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think people have an extraordinary ability to focus, to have calm, but then obviously you have to put in the work. And I don't mean to denigrate all these great people under the top level, because I've said this before, it's much easier to be a brain surgeon or a NASA engineer than it is to be a pro football, football basketball, hockey, baseball player, because the odds are just so stacked against getting there. And I, as I've talked about, I saw it very early in life as a tennis player that just couldn't make it. And you just see all the levels you have to go through. So I always appreciate, you know, success greatly because, you know, just never, you know, the more success you can stack at even lower levels will help you higher. But, you know, we realize there are people that are just – a cut above and sometimes you have to accept that that maybe you won't get there but obviously be the best you can be i know i'm reaching the end of my time sarah yeah. i want to let david uh go but i just want to say I'm, I'm enjoying this i want to keep coming back you can dm me questions comments instagram and um i do have this newsletter every sunday that's become pretty popular you sign up at andrew-brandt.com and, of course, my column came out yesterday on Sports Illustrated. I do one every week. And my business of sports podcast, that comes out every week as well. Thanks so much, guys. Really enjoy this. And if you're not following um, Andrew on Instagram, head over there right now and check out his page. I love seeing you in the classroom, Andrew. I thought that was super cool. Mm -hmm. I mean, in addition to everything, you know, uh, he's an amazing professor and you know you can just see just the vibrancy from you being uh, back in the classroom and what that means to you in addition to all of the fantastic things that you're doing so go check out his instagram give him a follow he's doing some great things and we will see you back here um next week wednesday to have another dynamic conversation and dr connor i'll have the popcorn for me and you um next week because i'm sure we will need it and with that Thank you for joining us on Breakfast with Champions. If you want to catch the live version, you can follow us on Clubhouse and listen from 5 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, Saturday 6 to noon, and Sundays with our 111 Sunday service. Make sure you're keeping up with Breakfast with Champions and getting yourself a seat at the table.